my family is, is all up in Illinois, and, and so at Christmas or birthdays, they send big boxes of presents down for my girls, filled with all kinds of toys. And it never fails. My girls open those presents, or that big box with all the gifts inside. They open it all up. They have all these awesome toys that just came with it. And yet, you know what they spend the next hour playing with? The box and the bubble wrap. You've got all these amazing toys that you just got. And you're playing with the box and the bubble wrap that came in it uh, while the toys sit off to the side. Uh, it's, it's a moment where, as a parent, you shake your head and you just think, you've missed the point of this whole thing. <laughs> the whole point of this box is not for you to play with the box, it's the things on the inside. That's the point of what just came in the mail. Have you ever had that happen where, where you just, you're left shaking your head thinking, you missed the point? Maybe it's a conversation with your spouse, and, and you thought you made your point clear, but clearly your spouse missed the point, and you're left shaking your head thinking, what, what's going on? Maybe it's with uh, em, fellow employees where you, you hear the boss, you hear the message that just rang out, but then your fellow employee is not doing what the boss just said, and you shake your head. How did you miss the point? Maybe it's with your own kids. that You, you tell them something, and they just miss the point, and it's frustrating, isn't it? I wonder if God sits up in heaven sometimes, shaking his head, looking at you and me, saying, you've missed the point. You've missed the point of all of this. And I wonder if, if sometimes he, he does that because Jesus essentially said the exact same thing. He didn't come out and say, you've missed the point. But he's essentially saying the same exact thing to the most religious people of his day. If anyone looked at the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they would have said, they have it down. They know exactly what God wants. And yet Jesus essentially looks at them and says, you've missed the point. You missed the point of everything. We're in the book of Mark, in this series called The Race to the Cross. We are walking through the book of Mark, and what Mark has done is he has shown us how Jesus is a powerful son of God. Time after time, chapter after chapter, Jesus is doing a powerful miracle. Uh, and that's the first half of, of the book. The second half of Mark, uh, Mark shows how Jesus, this powerful son of God, is also the suffering servant who's come to take away our sin. In Mark chapter 7, which is what we're looking at today, we get a rare moment where Jesus actually teaches. And his teaching moment comes against the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. And so let's jump in. We're in Mark chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law ask Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders 
instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Let's stop right there. What is going on in this interaction? Uh, Jesus and his disciples apparently had come from the marketplace because that's what Mark mentions in in verse 4. And Jesus' disciples start to eat without washing their hands. And the Pharisees see this happening and they confront Jesus. Why are your disciples eating without washing their hands? And we'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, oh, that's really nice, Pharisees. You're concerned about their hands having germs on them and you don't want them to get sick. But that's not the case. <laughs> uh, the, the Pharisees don't, aren't concerned about the disciples' hygiene. They're concerned about ceremonially cleanliness, being ceremonially, ceremonially clean before God. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, God gave his people laws. Some of them were how to govern themselves uh, as, as a government. Some of them were the moral law, like we have today, the Ten Commandments. And then there was the ceremonial laws, how the Old Testament people were to worship God. Those were called the ceremonial laws. And God, in the Old Testament, did give instructions on clean animals and unclean animals. Things that you touch that are clean, things that you touch that are unclean. And if you ate an unclean animal, if you touched something unclean, you could, in, you could have guilt on you, sin, and become unclean and not be able to enter the temple. Not be able to enter God's presence because God is holy. And being unclean is unholy. However, in the Old Testament, God never talks about ceremonially washing your hands. Uh, The closest we get is for the high priest and the priests of the temple to wash their hands before performing their, their temple duties for the people. There's nothing about being ceremonially clean by washing your hands before eating dinner. Okay, so why are the Pharisees accusing Jesus here? In the 2nd and 3rd century B.C., the Jewish people came back from their captivity to the Babylonians and they said, we got deported, we got taken over. Why? Because we weren't following God's word. We didn't carry out God's command. So here's what we're going to do. Here's God's command, here's God's words, uh, God's laws. We're going to put a hedge around it so we don't even get close to breaking God's law. And so they came up with 613 laws on top of God's laws to keep them from breaking God's law. And there were several pages per law that were all human tradition and human laws. For instance, ceremonially cleansing of your hands. Guess how many pages there were to tell you how to properly ceremonially clean your hands? 65 pages of how to properly clean your hands. This is what the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of. And it should make your ears cringe because they're not saying, why are you breaking God's law? It's why are you breaking human tradition? 
They didn't care about God's law. They cared about their human tradition, the hedge that has been set up around God's law. Now, if you think this is crazy, the Pharisees and all their laws, we still have some of this in Christendom today. When I was in high school, uh, I, I went to a Christian high school. We played another Christian school, and our school was one that didn't have uniforms. Theirs did. And their uniforms for the girls, their skirts were all the way down to their ankles. And they didn't have any school dances. Why? Because God's law says, do not lust. And so girls, you don't want anyone to lust after you, so have that skirt down to your ankles. And we clearly can't dance because if we dance, well, we might get some lustful thoughts because we're too close to the opposite sex. God's word doesn't say anything. It says dress modestly, but it doesn't say anything about having a dress down to your ankles or about dancing. And yet they created a hedge around God's law. And if you broke that law, they said you have guilt and sin. We still have this spooking around today in Christendom where we like to add laws to God's law. And look what Jesus says about this. He looks at the most religious people and look what he accuses them of. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the human traditions. Jesus looks at the most religious people and says you are hypocrites. The Greek word for, for hypocrite uh, has this connotation of, of a, a, a stage actor where you're, you're in costume, where you have a mask on, and, and you're acting out a part. And that's what he accuses the Pharisees of. You are acting out a part. You look religious. You look like you love God. But you don't. You don't. You're more concerned about your reputation than the character of your heart. Because here's what Jesus is telling them. It's your first point today. Holiness isn't a matter of clean hands, but a clean heart. God isn't interested in your outward performance if your heart is so full of sin. As we sit here today, we have to reflect on our own hearts. What would God say to you and me? Would He say you've missed the point? Would he say that your hearts are far from me? If you're a church-going person, this is going to challenge you a little bit. Because it challenged me as I was working through this. As we, come to, as we live our life as church-going people, why do we feel that we are accepted by God? Why do we feel that we're clean before God? Is it because we, we have faithful uh, worship attendance? Is it because we're in a Bible study? Is it because of our volunteer uh, time in ministry? Is it because of what we do? All that is great, and, and we should do all that. We should be in worship regularly. We should be in Bible study. We should be doing all those things, uh, and it's good. But what's on the inside? If we're doing all those things, and we're filled with lust, and we're filled with covetous thoughts, 
Our hearts are filled with complaining attitudes, judgmental attitudes. If, that, if we're doing all the outside performance, but the inside is so bad, God looks at you and says, your hearts are far from me. Your hearts are far from me. You're holding on to human tradition. How else do we hold on to human tradition? Uh, Easter's in five weeks. It's crazy. It's in five weeks. Imagine you come to Easter morning, Easter morning here, and uh, we have a service. We sing songs praising God. I preach from God's word. We have scripture from God's word. But it has nothing to do with the resurrection of Jesus. Would you leave here, would you leave that morning happy? Would you leave that morning praising God? Or would you be disappointed? Why would you be disappointed? Well, because it's Easter morning. This is when we celebrate the resurrection. Human tradition. And did we let the morning get ruined because we didn't follow a human tradition, despite God's word being part, uh, the whole service? Are we following merely human traditions or are we after God? For those of you here today who maybe aren't Christian, you're, you're here to see your grandkids or uh, your niece and nephew sing this morning. We're glad that you're here. But maybe you're thinking, this doesn't apply to me whatsoever because I'm not trying to be accepted by God. I'm not trying to be clean. I'm fine. Actually, it does because it doesn't matter who we are. We all have this sense of, I need to be accepted. I need to, I need to do something to be accepted, either by the masses or just when I lay my head down at night. I want to be acceptable to myself. And so how do we do that? What are the things we're doing outwardly that we try to make ourselves clean and acceptable? Well, uh, we can do it by morality. Look at I'm a successful person. Look at what I've done. I don't do what they do over there. Uh, I'm faithful to my wife. I'm faithful to my husband. I'm faithful. I'm a good father. I'm a good mother. All these things. Look what I've done. We do it through politics. If I support the right side of the issue, if I, if I support and, and vote for the right candidate who's going to bring the right reforms, the right policies, well, then I'm making a difference and then I'm acceptable. I'm morally good. We do it through pop culture. If I support what the masses support, if I support the cultural issues of today and get behind it, well, then I'm on the right side of things. We can even do it with ministry. Pastors do this too. If our church is growing, if there's a lot of people on Sunday morning, we feel disproportionately good about ourselves. And the flip side is also true. If, if the church is shrinking, if people don't show up, we also feel disproportionate, disproportionately bad about ourselves. Jesus says, our cleanliness is not about clean hands. It's not the outward. It's the inward. Where are our hearts today? That's what Jesus wants to know. And that's what Jesus says. We continue. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called, to the, called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person 
can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, and arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus' point, your second point today. A clean heart doesn't come outside in, but inside out. There's nothing, Jesus says, that can come from you outside in that makes you unclean. There's nothing that you can do from the outside in to make you clean. Because what's the problem? The heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. And from the heart come all kinds of evil thoughts. So many evil deeds. And there's nothing on the outside that we can do to keep us clean. And so what's the solution? What's the solution? What, what, what do we do? Jeremiah 2 verse 22 tells us, Although you wash yourself with soap and use an abundance of cleansing powder, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. There's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of outward washing. There's no amount of outward things that we can do to cleanse our hearts. The matter of a clean heart is not for us. Cleansing hearts is a God job and something that God so willingly does for you and me. In fact, look what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from your heart from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God's in the business of cleaning hearts. It's what he loves to do. He loves to see he loves to take the stains of our hearts, the stain of sin and cleanse us. And he says I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and I'm going to cleanse your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart so that your heart of stone is no longer there but a heart of flesh beating who loves God. I'm going to cleanse it. And how did he do it? Through Jesus. Through Jesus' perfect life. Through Jesus' death on the cross. He has removed all of our sins and cleansed us from all our impurities. In the book of 1 John, we're told that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When I was in a seminary, Ann and I were, were married and we were living in an apartment. And we came back from school and, and worked that day to a sign on our door that said, boil water notice. The water line got a crack in it. And so all these impurities got in. And what would happen if we drank from the water? We'd all get sick. Uh, and so what do we have to do? We had to put water in a pot, put it on our stove, and boil it. And as it boiled, all those impurities went away so that it was clean water. God has purified your heart, all the uncleanness of your sin, all the stains from all of the sins that we've ever committed. He has cleansed you of it all through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. So when you stand before God, how does God see you? Holy, clean, and God says you are accepted by me. Not because of what you've done, 
Not because of what you've left undone, but because of Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross for you. You stand holy and clean before him. And God says, I accept you. You can come into my presence, not because of your religion, but because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus that God accepts you and me. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're, you're checking out Christianity because uh, you realize something's missing and so you're coming here looking for what you have to do to fill that void. The message from Jesus today is you don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it for you. He has washed you, cleansed you. You're accepted by God because of him. Maybe you've been de church for a little while and, and you're starting to come back and you feel kind of weird because you've missed so much time. You know you should be in worship and, and you're looking to make up for lost time. Jesus says you're, you're accepted. Be at peace today. Not because of what you've left undone, but because he's fulfilled it all for you. And through the blood of Jesus, you stand holy and cleansed, accepted by God. For those of you who are church-going people, and you're here every week, what is a temptation that can happen for you and me? We start to play religion. It's by what we do that we are accepted. We start to take on the burdens of, I need to be in church, I need to be in Bible study, I need to do this, I need to do that. And Jesus says to you, be at peace today. You're not cleansed, you're not accepted by God because of any of that. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. Let your hearts be at rest. He's cleansed you. You're accepted by God. Take that burden off of you and place it on Jesus. It's because of him you're accepted by God. This is what I so desperately want you to know. Because we have a God who is so loving, so compassionate, so filled with grace that he's cleansed you. And when we know that, when we know what he has done for us, there's so much peace, so much comfort, so much joy. And it fills our heart with the desire to worship God. It fills us with the desire to give thanks and praise and adoration to the God of this world who has so much grace and mercy for you and me that he cleanses us and makes us acceptable to him. May God be with us as we worship him, as we glorify him, the God who cleanses our hearts. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, uh, we stand before you uh, and the stain of our sin is real. Uh, the, stain of our sin was real the stain of sin was real for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, and yet you didn't give them laws. You didn't give them uh, traditions to follow. You gave them a promise, and that promise was that you were going to send a Savior into the world to crush the serpent's head. Uh, as we stand here today, you don't give us laws and, and commands to make ourselves clean. You give us a promise, and that promise is that through Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. Through Jesus, uh, we've been purified. Through Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins, and we stand holy and clean before you. We're so thankful for that. Uh, we, we ask that you guard our hearts. Help us not to turn human laws and human traditions into something that we, we view that we need to do in order to be clean and accepted by you. We're, that's been done at the cross of Christ, and we're so thankful for that. Instead, fill our hearts with the desire to worship you to give you thanks and praise for what you have done for us. We ask you to be with us as we leave here today. Help us to know that no matter what happens when we walk out the door, uh, you love to continue to remind us of how you cleanse us, uh, how you've cleansed us with the blood of Jesus at the cross. Let us find peace and comfort and hope and joy 
in that message. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.